to another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast, a road-weary edition, I would say. Uh, Woody Womack joined solo this week by Nick Kruger from Texas. Nick, how's it going? Man, it's going good. Busy as always. We're in the middle of the state playoffs here. Just a couple more weeks left to go. I know uh, in a must-be-nice situation for you, uh, most, of you, most of your states have already wrapped up, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, it must be nice. I went to 14 games in eight days. Uh, that was nice. And then uh, I proceeded to f- fly directly from New Orleans to uh, to South or to here and then drive to South Carolina to go to the Shrine Bowl uh, where I was. You know, speaking of must be nice, boy, Rob Cassidy, not on the show this week as he's chilling in uh, lovely Hattiesburg, Mississippi, covering the, the All-Star game there. I did see a uh, Snapchat that he put out a couple of days ago with uh, with a seemed like a nice warm glass of Merlot or or maybe a nice cab or something, saying that confirming there was wine in Hattiesburg. So uh, yeah, so <laughs> must be nice. <laughs> yeah, must be nice tasting some vino while the rest of us are here uh, working <laughs> working hard. It's just a, it's just a steady diet of coffee straight into my veins. I don't have time for for the nice vintage <laughs> selection. <laughs> Wait, so. So are you off decaf? Or are you back? Are you back? You fall off the wagon? Well, you back in normal I'm, coffee? <laughs> I've been I've I've been all over the place on my coffee radar. That's for sure. <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Some right. nice holiday selections out this time of year, though. Of course. Uh, one last thing on Rob before we get into the actual show. I heard Rob was ordering coffee while we were on the phone. Who was today or yesterday? And uh, he ordered a coffee, and they said cream and sugar, and he said no diesel. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you want to know how Rob orders his coffee, it's diesel. Uh, straight black, homie. Uh, please, uh, if you don't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a review. Up to 54 reviews on iTunes. We're trying to get to 100 now that we hit our goal of 50. Uh, and share with a friend. We got big ratings last week. Tremendous ratings. Tons, tons of audience. So uh, we want to keep the ball rolling and uh, keep it coming our way. Last week's picks, we did the Army-Navy game. We did the uh, we picked the game and we did the over-under. Uh, Rob, 2-0. and Once again, he continues to roll. I went 1-1. and And Nick, you went 0-2 as you picked Navy and the over. <laughs> Ouch. Well, I made it very clear at the time of time of picking that I had no idea – what, what I was talking about for that particular game. Plus, I think the one thing that nobody was kind enough to bring up was the fact that it, I, and I, again, I didn't, of course, I didn't watch the game either, but it sounded like they were playing in some kind of ice storm as well. So that probably didn't help anybody's, uh, you know, overall prediction strategy. Yeah, you didn't have to watch the game. You could have just gone on Twitter and when everyone was just drool, oh, the pageantry and the majesty. And I mean, okay. <laughs> We get it. <laughs> you know, far be it for me, the son of an army veteran, to to denigrate the military, but uh, it was a little much on uh, on on Twitter. We'll put it that way. Um, yeah. It was it was snowing for sure. And guess what? You army wore white jerseys and they blended right in. It was camouflage. Get it? Because they're the army. Uh, so there was a lot of jokes like so this week we, we were going to do a thing where we picked every bowl game and I decided that was too much work. So uh, we're just going to stick with bowl games featuring ranked teams. And unfortunately, the first week of games, which goes from uh, the time of recording this on Wednesday to next Wednesday, we only have one game featuring ranked team, and that is Oregon against Boise State in the Las Vegas Bowl. That game Saturday night, Boise State number 25, Oregon unranked. And uh, despite that, the Ducks seven and a half point favorite. Uh, over under a 60 on that game so I guess I'll go first boy this is a tough one I think I'm gonna take Boise to uh, cover that spread uh, obviously Oregon's got a new head coach uh, they're going to be highly motivated but the uh, seven and a half seems seems like a lot of points I, I'm a little nervous about that one I am going to take the over as well I think there's going to be a lot of points scored regardless and that'll give me a chance to get a push even if uh if if, if the Ducks end up covering so uh what do you think Nick um, are we are we doing over unders every week, or just for like the games that days that we just, have? One yeah, game? just these ones where we have one game. Well, I think the yeah, I think the over is a safe bet here, and this is this is a this is an interesting scenario because most of the time, you know, when you and I talk about picking strategies, especially for these bowl games, it's you know a lot of it has to do with with circumstances surrounding the program coming into the game, as opposed to you know just kind of picking in the you know between the black and white as to who we think is actually better in Boise State seems like they've been playing much better football to to close out the season you know Oregon uh, I think I think enough of the staff is left behind there especially with coach Cristobal 
uh, le- leading the way that I think that there should still be, you know, some some pretty positive morale going into that game with the with the team looking to looking to prove that they, you know, they're 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 more than, you know, the hype that Taggart brought. So so I'll take. Uh, I see. I see you typing in there early, but I, I think I'm going to pick Boise to cover as well. I think I'm going to copy your your bets, but I do think Oregon wins the game. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, th- I think the Ducks win as well. I, but I think that extra half point makes me a little nervous. It might be a seven point game, and you know, let's just hope nobody gets punched in the face. Uh, speaking of uh, overworked Twitter jokes, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Legarrette Blunt jokes uh, being made. Uh, as the last time they that was the last time they played. I think that was uh, eight to. T- Eight to ten years ago, Chip Kelly's first game as head coach when uh, Legarrette Blunt, uh, but you know, lived up to his nickname of Blunt Force Trauma and <laughs> and knocked out that player on his feet with a right cross in a legendary moment for Florida recruits uh, as a four star from Florida was uh, Legarrette. All right, let's jump right into the topics. I guess we're going to talk about Oregon a little bit. We'll we'll come back to that one. Uh, this this week, uh, after we recorded the show last week, Jeremy Pruitt was hired, putting an end to the uh, seemingly endless uh, Tennessee Vols coaching search. And it, you know, Tennessee fans have been very happy. They've been excited about uh, you know who who they've hired. He's building a, a pretty good staff. Uh, news broke that he hired Austin Thomas today from LSU, who uh, is a guy who's from the Nashville area, has uh, recruiting ties to several people that we know. And was a key member of uh, getting, you know, five-star Jacob Phillips and five-star Jacoby Stevens from the state of Tennessee down to LSU. Now he's coming up there to join the staff. And uh, Alante Taylor also committed today, the nation's 102 overall player who had been committed to Tennessee for quite some time. I find it interesting though. Here's what here's what I'm thinking. First, we could talk about Pruitt as a hire. I know you don't you don't know him super well. I do think it's a bit of a gamble. Uh, I'm not going to say. You know, uh, it's hard to say every single hire is a home run hire per everyone. Uh, but I, I think the, the thing that makes me nervous is he's never been a head coach, number one. And number two, he's bounced around a lot. We went, I mean, He went from Alabama to Florida State, was there briefly, was at, was at Georgia briefly, and then made it back to Alabama. Um, and he went from being a DB coach to a D coordinator. Obviously, you had success at Alabama working with Nick Saban. We're, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily he's going to be a great head coach. I mean, Kirby Smart has done a great job. We've seen other guys, you know, Nick Saban disciples, uh, if you will, you know, have their their share of ups and downs. I know that that Saban's record against them is is pretty good. If I seem to remember seeing some stats, so there's on the field, we're not sure how it's going to pan out. He can recruit. I think the problem you have though is because of the way things played out and the way it took so long. You know, they get Taylor back. That's great. I always contended that Taylor was going to go there if they hired you as the coach, Nick. It, it wouldn't have mattered. He he really just was looking for any excuse to to stay close to home. Tennessee gave it to him, and that's a big big win for them because he was a legit take for Georgia and several other programs. But I see these Tennessee fans. Eh, are we going to win eight? How many are going to win next year? You know, not five, not six, not seven. You know. <laughs> They're turning into they're turning into LeBron and picking eight and nine wins and I don't know Nick what do, what do you think I mean I think he needs patience I, I think you know the talent there you know has dipped over the past year or so uh, you know we're talking about they had number fifteen overall classes I think two years in a row which puts them in the middle of the pack at the SEC they went zero and eight this year in the conference and you could say okay the the, the things went off the rails and that's fine but. You know, I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you've got to be willing to give Pruitt until year three before you start clamoring for him to get fired or something like that, because they've got a tough schedule next year. And say they go six and six or whatever, I don't, I don't know if Vols fans are going to be able to be patient. So, so what was your kind of take, just as an outsider looking at it? Well, as an as an outsider, I mean, I you know, here's here's how I put, putting myself in a casual Tennessee fan shoes, if there is such a thing, you know, looking at looking at everything that they went through, the trials and tribulations of, you know, get, getting on board with this guy, tr- making a play for that guy, having all these things fall through. Meanwhile, you're seeing all these other schools make you know pretty uh, 
as, as far as we can tell at this point, you know, of, of, uh, of the season, making pretty competent decisions, landing on their feet in Texas A&M's coach with Jimbo Fisher, you know, Scott Frost, obviously making the expected move to Nebraska. You're seeing all these high profile coaches go elsewhere, you know, that we expect a reasonable level of success. in. meanwhile, Tennessee is, you know, truthfully, I mean, was, was, was obviously a, a laughing stock there for a little while, considering all the, all the stuff that they went through to get to this point, but then to come out of the other end, landing an assistant from you know in the in the court of public opinion the you know best college football program in the country right now to to land an assistant uh the defensive coordinator no less i mean one of the you know one of the most identifiable units with that team has to be something that you know you've got to feel good about just generally speaking i mean after everything that we went through to get to this point now you know as far as the temperament of the fan base and what the expectations are and how long of a leash they're going to give them. I mean, come on, I, I, you know, my open plea to Tennessee fans is look at, look at what happened with Butch Jones this season. I mean, it was, it was, it was bumpy from the start. There were a lot of games where you couldn't even clear that, you know, that you were barely getting into double digits in a lot of these games offensively. So, uh, you know, to, to come out and expect an eight win season right off the bat, or, or to say that he's got three years or less to make a difference, you know, I I don't I don't think you should look at it that way. I don't think you should give it a, a defined time frame before you start hitting the panic button again. I think you need to start seeing, you know, where this team was particularly weak this year, given the set the circumstances, where you need to see that improvement made, and what's realistically, you know, able to be improved in a short period of time with a guy like Pruitt at the helm. So, you know, you would probably have a little bit better insight into into like what he's doing with his assistants, you know, what he might want to do schematically that could kind of, you know, if this were if this season were to continue on for Tennessee, where would the bleeding stop first and how could he be the person responsible for that? I think that's kind of where you need to kind of need to uh, assess the situation first and foremost and then and then kind of let things play out from there because there's there's going to be a lot of things going on between now and signing day. Heading into next season, this is a big opportunity for Coach Pruitt with a lot of scrutiny and in a in a in a big fishbowl situation. So, you know, I think there's a lot of factors at play. But in the meantime, for right now, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm happy with the way things are, and I'll let it be until training camp starts. <laughs> right, you, you should be happy. Exactly, they should be happy, and I, and I think it's going to be tough for them to close. Uh, you know, I saw I saw an article written by. Uh, one of our competitors uh, today that said, you know, I don't think any of the teams who hired, who hired a new coach will finish in the top 10 of the recruiting rankings. And I think that was a fair opinion to have, but I mean, J- you know, Jesse Simonton who covers Tennessee for us for fallquest.com, which is our home for Tennessee coverage. He wrote a column after the hire where he said, uh, you know, this was the tweet, uh, Jeremy Pruitt lost eight games in five seasons uh, as a, as a defensive coordinator, that means total. He's inheriting a program that just suffered its first eight loss season in school history. The Tennessee turnaround will take time. And then he, he has a, he has a column about how the fans need to be patient. You know, this guy says, you know, nah, talent is there. We won't go 10 and two next year, but seven and five to nine and three. Yeah. And then Tennessee has talent. Butch was a terrible coach. And then not long in my book next year, look out, we're coming at you straight up. You know, like, the peep, the responses here, you know, led to, I was like, you know, what is going on? So I retweeted our boy, Jesse and said, you know, it doesn't seem like they're going to be very patient. And, uh, I was replied to by, uh, by a guy named Devin, but what these people always have weird last names. <laughs> Zadarico, who said it's undeniable that Tennessee has talent. Bush brought in top recruiting class after top recruiting class. Bush lacked leadership and didn't earn the trust and respect of his players. We have to be patient. The pro is it walking into as bad a situation as it seems. So, so we go. Well, you said you you just said a, a couple of minutes ago, right? That what the last the last two seasons they had top fifteen recruiting yeah, classes. 15, yeah, exactly. Number right? fifteen, I think, both years. I mean. You know, even, even though you say that that kind of falls middle of the pack as far as the conference is concerned, I still got to think a high level of, you know, a, 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 an above average level of coaching can get a, a 15th ranked recruiting class to be very competitive, even in the right. SEC. But I, the problem you have is that the, the reason that they suffered under Butch Jones is they weren't developing these players. I mean, guys that we knew, like like our boy Drew Richmond, okay? We knew when we ranked him as a five-star that he was a developmental prospect. We didn't think he was going to come in and dominate from day one. The thought was, 
by year three or four, he's going to be a first round NFL draft pick because, you know, he's six foot five, six foot six and very agile. Unfortunately, he hasn't developed, but they have they have five. I think they have four or five five star guys on the roster. They all as as people often tell me, they can't all be bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's one thing to have a bust here or there. None of those guys have panned out to anywhere near what we thought they would be. Uh, and, and several of them are on defense as well. So even if they make the leap forward, I, I still think because of the lack of development and because of the transfers, they've lost so many players over the years uh, during Butch Jones of guys who left. I mean, they were down to running about 65 scholarship players by the time the season ended because of it injuries and transfers and now you're talking about a limited time to put together a class of freshmen so you're talking about another sub you know 15 class and and, you know maybe that like you said that should that should lend itself to success but when you're comparing it against you when when being 15th in the country puts you eighth in your own conference i think it's tough so anyway you know our boy devin and i went back and forth which led to to us making a bet um he said that they're going to, because uh, he said, is 15 out of 129 not good to you, which is your point. Uh, and uh, I asked him, okay, how many wins? And he said eight. And I said, if they win eight or more games, I will buy you a five-year subscription to Rivals. If not, you have to buy five subscriptions for your friends. So we made a bet. Uh, so that's the bet. I say, look, Vol fans, you should be happy with a seven-win season next year. I think that would be... That would be a very good, that'd be very good, tremendous season. (laughs) Like it's much like what happened at Oregon. You mentioned Willie Taggart earlier. They went from four and eight to seven and five and people were acting like he was Vince Lombardi. So, you know, I think, I think you take that and as long as things are going in the right direction, you'd be happy. So um, anyway, moving on, we're going to watch that closely. Cade Mays is the situation we're really watching uh, he, he doesn't seem to be looking at Tennessee very heavily anymore, but you never know. He could suppress. We'll be following that. We'll talk more about that next week for sure. Um, another key development uh, that we want to talk about, Adrian Martinez, the uh, quarterback who had or who is committed to Tennessee, had been committed to Tennessee. Who knows by the time this comes out? All signs are pointing to him flipping to Nebraska, which would be the first major uh, get of the Scott Frost era. I know they flipped the commit from UCF, which uh, – the day before Scott Frost returned to UCF to be the coach uh, for the bowl game, which I thought was a little odd. Um, He didn't seem to field any questions about that, at least that I saw. But uh, Adrian Martinez is a guy that that we've only seen limited action. I think we saw him at the future 50 last year, but there's no doubt that the quarterbacks Nebraska has on their roster are, are not necessarily, you know, suited to run Scott Frost's offense. I know that offense can can adjust a little bit. But for him to come in, he was at UCF, get the job at Nebraska, and then target a player in, in California. How impressive is that, Nick? You know, we're, we're assuming they land his commitment here, even if if they haven't by the time this this uh, show comes out. You know, I know you're, you're not up to date on Martinez necessarily, but how impressive of a feat is that for Frost to pull off in such a short period of time? Well, let me let me ask you a question. What, what do you think the odds are? Maybe maybe he didn't have time for this, which is totally understandable. But, you know, what do you think the odds are? I mean, Frost, if, I'm just saying like 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 Scott Frost must have had some kind of inkling that he was going to be headed towards something bigger than UC like if he would if he would have known he wanted to stay at UCF he would have known that if he knew that he wanted to move on to a bigger program he would have known that too regardless of what he you know the task at hand at the time I mean what what are the odds that he kind of kept some lines of communication open with some guys and told them like listen I know UCF isn't in your future but you know if and when I move on to x destination I'm going to be giving you a call, and there's already some level of familiarity there. I mean, do you think that that sort of yeah? Of I don't know. <laughs> that's an interesting proposition because I don't know, you know, what if that's necessarily within the rules. I'm not really sure if you can recruit for one school. Well, maybe you don't. Say, maybe you don't say that in so many words, but you know, maybe. But maybe there's some way that you can kind of apply your recruit your overall recruiting strategy as a coach to kind of you well, know. Th- there's you no know. doubt that. 
coaches keep in touch with recruits that they're essentially no longer recruiting, which I know that sounds weird because they're essentially always recruiting, but you'll often talk to kids and say, who is your favorite assistant coach? You know, and it's just, we're talking at the end of the time or when they've already signed or committed and they might throw out a name of a, you know, Oh man, I like Lincoln Riley, for example, and he was at ECU kids would say, Oh man, I love coach Riley, you know, but I'm not going to ECU, <laughs> you know. So maybe they did, uh, you know, reach out to him. And I guess I would have to check at his. Uh, I should look at his profile, then, you know, to see if he had a UCF offer. I'm, I'm sure he did, even if it's not on there. Um, because, like, like you said, I mean, you have to. You never know how things are going to happen. I think we all thought that that you know it became obvious that that Frost was leaving. Oh yeah, he did have a UCF offer, so it is on his his rival's profile. So there was communication there. Um, did we ever think Adrian Martinez was going to UCF? No, probably not. But just having that line of communication, it, it really helps. And we've seen it. You know, Texas A and M lost a quarterback commit uh, pretty quickly after Jimbo took over, and it was a guy that Jimbo didn't offer at Florida State, and he flipped to, to North Carolina. And I mean, I, I doubt they were sad to see him go or anything. But uh, now they're kind of scrambling, looking for a quarterback. So I think you do raise a good point with that, with the uh, lines of communication. But I don't know. I think I think you're talking about a dual threat quarterback, a guy that can do a little bit of everything. And now, you know, you know we saw Frost do it at at, uh, at UCF. He started a true freshman in McKenzie Milton, and and that team immediately, you know, made strides going from winless to you know I think they went six and seven to then twelve and zero this year. Martinez could be that guy for them now to uh, kind of set the tone. And, you know, all this talk about Calabrasca, you know, under Mike Riley, Scott Frost comes in and says, yeah, give me one week. I'll start nabbing kids out of California. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Not too, not too far away from Calabasas. So, and then too, I mean, when you, when you go back and you think about all the times that we've talked about Nebraska this season, you know what was the what was the reoccurring theme that we had about the product on the field? I mean, they were having issues at the quarterback position. So for for Scott Frost to come in as a new coach, and you know, it's kind of like a it's like in the NFL too. You get a new GM, a new coach. What's the first thing they do? They draft a quarterback. So you know, Scott Frost comes in, identifies a guy that he has a little bit of a relationship with, can promise him, hey, look, you know, there wasn't a ton of production at the position last year. I'm coming in. We're changing everything. We want you to be the face of the the franchise, so to speak. And that's got to be an attractive offer for, uh, you know, for, for Adrian and, and, and for what it's worth, it moves them closer back to the West coast, even though Nebraska is not super, you know, super, it's closer than Knoxville, though, uh, you know, <laughs> yes, that's for sure. I, I think it, I think they deserve a lot. Uh, they deserve a lot of credit. Uh, so, so great job, Nebraska. They got a lot of buzz on the recruiting trail right now. Now, before we move on, I just, I just got a, uh, I just, I just got a tweet from Marvin Wilson as uh, as people were – I was making some jokes about Marvin today on Twitter of wearing number 21, right, and how linemen should wear number 21. And he tweeted a picture of me looking fat and said, come on, bro. <laughs> 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 uh, he really he really roasted me. Uh, we want to talk about Oregon and Mario Cristobal. We mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the Ducks uh, in their in their season. Interesting choice here. I think the way the timing shook out, it's got, it's got to be tough if you're an Oregon fan because, uh, you know, by the time you hired Willie Taggart last year, Chip Kelly then became available uh, after he was already hired. And then Willie leaves on you and Chip had already been hired by UCLA uh, and not to mention Scott Frost, another guy with, uh, with Oregon ties, uh, ends up off the market as well going to Nebraska. So, you know, obviously I spent a lot of time with uh, Cristobal. I went out and visited Oregon uh, earlier in the spring when I was uh, there visiting family. And, you know, the, uh, the aforementioned Willie Taggart made me wait outside the office, which, by the way, Florida fa- Florida State fans did not appreciate me putting that part in the story uh, last year. But uh, And I've, I've known Cristobal from his time at Alabama as well. I think he deserved a shot at, at another job. I, I I thought you know he might have even been a candidate for UCF when they hired Scott Frost. Uh, I think he probably should have been a candidate, at, you know, at FAU when they hired Kiffin. Oregon's a big job, though. It's a, it's a big leap to go from, you know, he basically went from, uh, you know, assistant coach at Alabama. 
to to you know a co-offensive coordinator one year at Oregon. Now he's got the head job. So the way the timing shook out, I don't think Oregon had any other choice. I, I think it was a way too late for them to try to go and steal someone else's head coach because of how late Taggart left. I mean, say say you know they fired Taggart or something around Thanksgiving, then I think they could have gone toe to toe for some of these big names, you know, the Dan Mullins of the world or whoever else you want to name. But uh, you know, I, I think for continuity's sake, it's a good move. I'm surprised. I've seen them lose some commits, Nick, including uh, Miles Battle from down there in Texas. What did you think? Uh, is he the type of guy that they can get back? I mean, we expected the kids from Florida to maybe follow Taggart, but some of those Texas guys, I, I was a little shocked to see hit the market. Well, I think in Battle's case specifically, um, there's still, I, I think there's there's still an opportunity to, uh, you know, keep that uh, keep that bridge uh together and and there's still there's still a possibility of bringing him back into the fold because obviously you know a, a good friend of the podcast uh Marcus Arroyo still on staff with the Ducks and he was really the main main recruiter in in Texas and in fact I think when you look at this you know kind of shuffling of of staff in general this isn't this isn't that I I I think I think what's a breeze a little bit I, I really don't think this is that bad of a situation uh considering the the spot that they were in you know, at the end of the, at the end of the year, I mean, you're, you're talking about Cristobal and Arroyo were co-offensive coordinators. Now one is the head coach. One just, you know, presumably gets an expanded coordinator role of a of, of true offensive coordinator position. There's still, you know, there's not going to be much of a, a culture change, a philosophy change, as far as that stuff is concerned. Um, you know, there's, there's still the relationships kept there and, you know, and I, I, you know, if I recall correctly, uh, you know, on last week's podcast, I, I, kind of floated the idea that I thought, you know, Cristobal was due for a shot. I think, you know, I think at this point now, if I'm Cristobal, I feel like I want that job at Oregon. I don't want to go back to FAU. I mean, it, you know, I, I not not that FIU and FAU are on the same level anymore, but I mean, you know, considering that you you went on to have a high-profile assistant job at Alabama, you know, you you do you do the same in another big-time program at Oregon. You know, the where where you're at kind of in the pecking order kind of seems a little a little fur you know farther above going back just going back to Florida for the sake of you know I'm comfortable recruiting there I have ties there I can run a I can run a, a you know a mid-major type program I think you know I think this is a great opportunity for Cristobal and I think it's a good opportunity for for our friend coach Arroyo too and I think you know I think a lot of the guys that they were in with in Texas are guys that have other options but Oregon still when you look at you know I guess for lack of a better term kind of like the prestige of the program relative to the other programs that they're considering and the other recent activity in their recruitment Oregon still stands a, a pretty good chance with a guy like Battle and and uh, you'll notice I mean you know guys like Verone McKinley and uh, Marcus Caldwell and underclassmen you know have have stuck with their commitment as well so I think you know I think that there's still a good opportunity for for Oregon to you know to not see much of a drop off in terms of at least in terms terms of you know their recruiting efforts especially Here's where in my I neck think of the it woods. becomes make or break for them. I think you know being in this Las Vegas bowl is kind of it's really done them a disservice because they got to play in the middle of the I mean you know another reason to hate the early signing period we got teams playing bowl games in the middle of this thing you know like I mean come on if you're Boise State if you're Oregon you're losing an official week visit weekend before the dead period before kids can sign their letters of intent because your team is playing in a bowl game I mean it's really stupid I I I can't believe and I don't want to get down that whole I was saving this so we could discuss it with Rob and we'll do it next week on our our, uh, early signing day special, whatever you want to call it. It was this terrible idea pushed by a bunch of people who are uninformed. And now we coaches hate it. Kids hate it. Everyone hates it. It's like, well, why did we pass it? So that's number one. Number two. They've got to play in that game, and then clearly some of the coaches are going to leave. I mean, the the running backs coaches probably are gone, or probably going to Florida State with Taggart. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I totally think that's going to happen. Some of his guys are going to go with him, and then Cristobal's got to fill out the staff. The question is, do they do it quick enough to benefit? I I, I have seen some talk about a lot of Pac-12 schools are telling kids not to sign early. You know, despite a lot of people thinking we'll just be twiddling our thumbs you know, the 21st and 22nd, I think there's going to be a lot of kids out West that don't sign because, you know, almost, you know, several teams in the conference got new coaches, Arizona state, Oregon state, Oregon, UCLA, you know, they're all, they're all got new coaches. Nobody's got time to recruit. 
it, it, it's really crazy. So all the assistants moving around, uh, I think that I just think that bowl game hurts them, and I think that was even more of a reason to keep Cristobal. I like what you said, you know, our boy Marcus Arroyo, who who uh, you know we have a good relationship with. I think he benefits from becoming a play caller. This is a guy who you know Taggart was calling the plays last year while being the head coach, even though you had you had two offensive coordinators and no play callers. So. Um, I think giving them a chance to kind of do things on their own and, and, uh, you know, those two guys, you know, they, they, they've gotten that together. They seem to have a great working relationship. And I think that they can, they can, you know, flourish if given the opportunity. So we're going to be watching that closely. I think Oregon still got some noise to make on the recruiting trail. We'll see if they can be one of those schools that got a new coach to finish, you know, in the top 10. They're currently ranked still in the top 10 uh, of the rivals recruiting rankings. Uh, another topic we alluded to last week. And it turned out, guess what? We were right. I mean, you know, I may not be able to pick football games, but I can tell you some stuff about recruiting. Former five-star Shea Patterson uh, makes it official. Uh, he's transferring from uh, Ole Miss up to uh, Michigan. Sorry, I got distracted there. <laughs> Rob Cassidy calling me in the middle of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, man. Should we patch him through? I wish we put him on. Yeah, I wish we could. He's it too is busy. Uh, he's <laughs> muling. Uh, he's got a lot of mules to ride out there. So this is a big move for Shea, former five star. It's crazy to think that, as I as we talked about before, Shea Patterson and Jacob Eason, a pair of former five stars, both likely to transfer this offseason. Uh, one and two in the class just goes to show that sometimes uh, we we spend so much time talking about things and the, and they don't work out the way we would think. Uh, Nick, Shea Patterson, the fit. If he can get eligible next year, which I think he can, I think you know we've seen a lot of articles that say it's, it's, it's a slight chance. I think it's a better than slight chance. I think you know if 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 the NCA doesn't doesn't let it happen, I think we could have some legal ramifications. We could have all types of things happen. I think the NCA should do right by the kids at Ole Miss that that were recruited there. You know, being told by the coaches that they weren't going to have any sanctions and they end up getting hammered. We're seeing a lot of kids trying to leave or leaving. What kind of impact do you think he can make in Michigan? I think he makes them. I think, A, he becomes a guy that you mentioned in the discussion, for, you know, as one of the nation's top quarterbacks right away. And I think, I think perhaps, you know, puts Michigan in the mix to finally get over that hump under Harbaugh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously a instant improvement over. The situation that they had this past season there and you know I mean I'm I, I've made my thoughts about Patterson no, uh you know known last week I think you know like like I said I mean I just think that he gives I just think that he brings the opportunity for a new energy uh you know to this offense a little bit more of a dynamic presence back there at the quarterback position you know I think what will be interesting to see is you know I, I know I, I didn't watch Ole Miss games closely. You know, I'm more of a, a Big 12 guy by nature of my uh, my region. You know, from from what I understood, I mean, there were ups and downs with this play of the season. I think I think where Shea stands to benefit <clears throat> or benefit, excuse me, is is to have you know Coach Harbaugh, who we're all going to presume to be you know a quarterback whisperer of sorts, kind of take a look at what it was that worked, improve on that what it was that, you know, he struggled with this past season, you know, and kind of worked to correct those mistakes. I mean, you know, what, what were some of the things that you saw, you know, either mechanically or, you know, just, just the way that he ran the offense. I mean, that he might stand to, you know, patch well, up I mean, by, by, you know, depending by on who you Harbaugh. ask, <laughs> basically, you know, I think Shea felt like he was playing kind of, uh, you know, without a whole lot of structure there. And that may have, you know, been the case of the coaching staff getting shaken up. I, I just think there was a lot of freelancing going on. It wasn't maybe super structured. And I, I just know that's, that's how he felt. Um, and, and that's why I think Harbaugh comes in. And I, I mean, like you said, you know, Pep, Pep Hamilton is the offensive coordinator there. You're talking about the guy who was at Stanford with Andrew Luck and followed him to the NFL was with Luck in Indianapolis for a while. And he had some of his best years in the NFL as well. So I think having, you know, a, de a designated guy like that who, who has a proven track record of developing quarterbacks is, is what's going to really help him. And, uh, and, you know, Pep Hamilton is a guy whose name has been mentioned uh, for, for head coaching jobs as well. I know he's interviewed at, at several different places over the years. So, 
you, you know, Shea's got to cut down on the mistakes. I think he forced some balls that threw some some bad interceptions at times. But he's an exciting player. I mean, you know, we look back as, you know, this was a guy who was redshirting, wasn't even planning on playing, ends up getting thrown out there after Chad Kelly gets hurt and, and puts up some huge numbers. So, you know, give him give him some time to to learn the offense there in Michigan. The key is going to be getting getting him eligible right away. And like I said, I if it doesn't happen, I think that's a that's a major bummer for him. Considering, like I said, he he sat out most of his freshman year expecting to redshirt and then got called into duty late. But uh, it's a major gift for Michigan. They put this together quickly. It's always interesting to see how these things break out. And, and Michigan might end up with several guys from Ole Miss. Ole Miss fans aren't going to like it. And I and I don't necessarily blame Ole Miss fans for being mad. The problem is you shouldn't be mad at these kids. You know what I mean? They they only have such a short period of time to to make a name for themselves and and try to play professional football. And you know ultimately that's the reason you know why we all go to college is to to, to get a profession and, and go make some money. So you know these guys all dream of playing playing pro football. And I and you know Shay's the ultimate competitor. You know, famously, uh, you know, after the Army game when he won the MVP and the, the, the reporter asked him, I know I've told this story before, Shay, did you ever dream of this where you come in here and win the MVP at the at the Army All-American game? And he goes, yeah, <laughs> he did dream of it. So uh, this kid who sets high goals for himself, he wants to win a national championship and not being eligible for the postseason. So, uh, so anyway, so real quick, I spent some time at the Shrine Bowl. I wanted to share a little little story time with the old uh, uh, listeners of the show. Is uh, I was with Officer Friedman himself, Adam Friedman, on the case. Uh, Adam, of course, covers North Carolina. I cover South Carolina, so it's perfect for us to cover that game together. And uh, <laughs> some people may not know this, but Adam Friedman has blocked uh, every other re- recruiting reporter on Twitter, uh, which, you know, I love blocking people on Twitter, so I, who am I to judge? But Adam does Regardless of region, he just doesn't... Yeah, yeah, blanket policy. Uh, he's blocked them all. So oftentimes... People will ask me, you know, hey, you work with Adam Friedman? I say, yeah, yeah. Do you know why he blocked me on Twitter? <laughs> and then I have to say, well, it's a blanket policy that he's enacted, you know, because I think somebody was stealing his information at one point. So uh, we're, we're at the hotel. We come back in between the practices from the first day and we, we, we go back to Adam's hotel to get some work done. And we see one of the other reporters in there who uh, who I've known for since uh, she was in college. So, so I went over and, you know, made some chit chat with her about, you know, life on the beat and whatnot. She had recently come back to the Southeast after, after working another part of the country. And so, uh, you know, we had a pleasant conversation. I went, sat at my computer and then later Friedman joined and, and then he went, she was sitting at the bar. So he goes up to the bar to order and, and he says, hello. Well, you know, this uh, woman doesn't respond back, right? So he, he goes up to the register to order, at which point she walks over there. You know, I'm watching from a distance here. And uh, they have a little bit of an exchange. And then she walks <laughs> she walks off and goes in another direction. And I asked Adam, I said, what happened? And, and he goes, well, I walked by. And I said, hi. She didn't say anything. And then she walked over to me at the register, introduced herself and said, you know, hey, we've never met before. And he said, oh, no, I don't think we have. And she said, well, then why did you block me on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> at which point, at which point, Adam informs her, "Hey, sorry, it's a blanket policy." <laughs> and she just walks away, didn't say anything else, and just walked off, probably in disgust. Wow! So he got real life blocked in that yeah, moment. He got, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he reblocked. He got, he got a taste of his own medicine. So. <laughs> hey, guess what? Officer Friedman sticks to procedures at all times. Uh, so. uh, yeah, hey, listen, it sounds like we're, we're veering into cyberbully Friedman at this point. You know, <laughs> if that's the kind of reaction. In today's, in today's climate, oh, we can't be having that. Well, anyway, I got permission <laughs> to tell that story on the show because when I told it to Rob off the air, Rob laughed hysterically for, <laughs> for about five minutes. Wow. So, uh, yeah, sorry, you're blocked. So uh, don't, don't, <laughs> don't mess with Officer Friedman. Now I've got all, now. Now it's time to move on. Time for tweet of the week. You subtweet people all the time. You're nothing but an embarrassment. I've got all types of tweets here, Nick. Holy cow! 
Wow. Okay, so let's make them let's make them fast. We're going to start with, with Zach right. Quinney, who plays offensive line for uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, Everything Georgia tweets, according to At College Mag, Georgia Tech has been ranked as the number one school in the country to, quote, find a husband. At which point, Zach retweets it and says, ladies, hit me up. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there you go. number one. I thought that was a good tweet by Zach. <laughs> Uh, number two, we have, uh, oh, well, we, we had some people giving us uh, con- feedback on Christmas vacation from last week. Uh, our boy uh, at Jack lost 12. He agreed, uh, that Christmas vacation is, uh, sadly overrated. I, I received a lot of blowback. I don't know if you heard from anybody on that one, Nick. Uh, but, mm, uh, people no. were not, people were not happy, including our boy, Ross, uh, Nanini, who said, my family loves Christmas vacation. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> wow. Hey, Ross Nanini, go eat a panini. <laughs> yeah. Ross did say he enjoys the show. So, uh, uh oh, well, have a panini on yeah, Woody yeah. then. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not a huge panini fan. Since you're buying, since you're buying stuff for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since I'm betting people and buying them. So that was the feedback there. Real, uh, couple other, couple other quick tweets of the week. Um, Tallahassee Democrat. Lethal simplicity. Taggart wants fast, aggressive style on both sides of the ball at FSU. At which point, uh, Politico writer Mark Caputo said, "How odd! Most team, most football coaches want slow, peaceful teams." <laughs> which, <laughs> which, hey, which, that's a good. Struck me as something that like Rob would tweet. Um, and then, last but not least, oh well, I, I guess this one's a little controversial, but a lot of the recruits were retweeting this into my timeline. Uh, this was from uh, at Ray Charles Bands, which I, is a pretty good pun. Uh, he said, "All women do is exfoliate, love avocados, and cheat." Uh, oh, <laughs> so, several of the recruits uh, retweeted that into my timeline, which I thought was, which I thought was unusual because I don't know many high school girls who like avocados. Um, but well, how many high school girls? Uh, do you good know? point. <laughs> I want the ones that got retweeted <laughs> into my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so anyway those are the tweets of the week oh it's good we almost had to call officer friedman there yeah, that was a close geez. one <laughs> uh not to mention not to mention marvin wilson making fun of me for being fat also gets uh <laughs> that's, a, that's a big shout uh but i'm sticking to my guns big big hollywood marv no you're not number 21 okay um all right moving on time for rants and recommendations now we've got all types of stuff going on here nick now i wrote uh, I wrote a uh, I wrote a thing for you because you sent me a Snapchat saying this is my rant, and then I I wasn't sure what it was, so I just made a quick note on the sheet that said frumpy people at breakfast <laughs> question. Right. So, <laughs> so take it away. Was that was that the rant? Uh, well, I counted on you to do just that. So so kudos to you for following through on. On what I needed you to there. So so basically, so every time, most of the time when I go to Houston for work or the Houston area, I, I try to stay at the same hotel. It's a Spring Hill Suites uh, in the West Chase District. They're kind of just when you get past Katy and, and start heading towards uh, Houston proper a little bit more. It's, you know, it's a brand new hotel, nice, great water pressure, reasonable rates. You'll stay there. You'll love it. But anyway, so, so I'm there. They do a continental breakfast as most hotels do. <clears throat> basic, uh, you know, basic options there for you to choose from on this particular morning. I went down there. Uh, you know, I just wanted something, anything, usually most of the time I can get by with a bagel and cream cheese and call it, you know, I don't try to, you know, uh, put too much stock in the, in the eggs or whatever the, the hot cooked food is, but these two people down there. All right. It was just a couple, right. A man and a woman used all four slots in the toaster for their bagels. Also, the woman was preparing a plate of eggs and Canadian bacon, whatever else, the salsa, the cheese, the cilantro, the whole nine, took up the entire hot bar station. Meanwhile, while the bagels are cooking, the man goes over to the waffle maker. He's making his own waffle. All major areas of the continental breakfast occupied by these two people. Nobody's getting anything they want. And to, to cap things off, the attendant who's in charge of managing the breakfast bar comes back out. Before, you know, before anybody has a shot to do anything else for themselves, what happens? 
The woman steps, pulls her aside, says, hey, listen, all this food is cold. I need you to reheat my food. I need you to reheat this food. It's unacceptable. And she's in the middle of doing three different things. The whole thing was monopolized by these two people. Meanwhile, I'm just sitting there having my second bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. And, and that's as far as I got for breakfast that morning, unfortunately. So I wasn't too happy well, about that. I mean, you, I got news for you. No offense to the Spring Hill Sweets. You can't send back food at a... <laughs> Had a continental. I know they're just they're giving it to you, right? right. I mean, yeah, you can't. You know, this is. I suppose I suppose it's implied that it's that's part of what you're paying for there. But like I said, some of the most reasonable rates in Houston. Uh, you kind of gotta you kind of gotta meet them halfway on some things. <laughs> you're right, exactly. You got to know what you're paying for. Uh, I could. We know I have all types of struggles at, at hotel breakfasts, uh, which. Uh, by the way, I had a great experience at the Troubadour in New Orleans. A big shot to them. A recent member of the Hilton family. Welcome to the family, Troubadour. I, I, <laughs> I had a great breakfast there. And then I stayed at a second hotel the second part of the weekend, which did not have such a good breakfast that I could complain about also. But uh, it's funny because yours kind of spills into one of my rants, which I will, will say people taking too long at breakfast, monopolizing anything, right? So... Adam Friedman, once again, second big shot of the show. <laughs> okay. We should have had him on the show this week. Forget Rob. Right. What are we doing? It's been a while since we had the, the officer. Well, on. we had planned to record a podcast with a couple of uh, recruits, but uh, surprising that the media relations people at the Shrine Bowl weren't exactly uh, organized when it came to to uh, you know clear communication on that. So we could not make it happen. Uh, so, but Adam and I were uh, you know he he stays at a at a nice hotel there in Spartanburg, which has an executive lounge. Oftentimes we end up skipping dinner just because we end up eating, you know, meatballs and, and pigs in a blanket and and all that stuff while we're working. And then we don't end up going to dinner. Well, I decided uh, after we were doing that, I said, hey, Adam, let's go get a let's go get a little dinner at least here. It's about eight o'clock. So uh, we decided to walk from the hotel and get some steps in, go to downtown Spartanburg, and uh, and we have a we have an average meal as you would expect in Spartanburg. But I had seen a wait. Did you go? Did you go back to? The Wild Wing Cafe. <laughs> it was in that same vicinity, but no, it was not. Because if, if Adam Friedman had two two story worthy instances at, at the Wild Wing Cafe, and you know, and within three years' time, that'd be pretty impressive. <laughs> well, we were just about we were just about a you know stone's throw away from there. So after we get done eating, I decide, hey, you know, I saw there's a some type of gourmet ice cream shop they've opened here since the last time we were in town, and despite it being like thirty degrees, I said, let's go check it out. So we go in there. It's a, some type of frozen custard, you know, and then they got some different kinds of ice cream. They got a, you know, a fake blizzard type thing. I think they just called them bl- a blizz or something like that. Uh, there was, uh, you know, they had some homemade uh, ice cream sandwiches. Uh, that was some things I wanted. It was interesting in trying. So in front of us, there's a, a p- four people, two, two young children, and what looked to be their grandparents. At least I hope it was their grandparents. You know, and the kids got a little ice creams with the, uh, you know, whipped cream on top. You know, nice little one scoop. Well, they go sit down, you know. Grandpa walked one of the kids to, to, to the table and, you know, didn't say excuse me as they almost walked right into me. Uh, which, you know, got me a little irritated right from the jump. <laughs> Mini ramp here, and, and, and so then, you know, Gramps is up there still talking and it appears, you know, Grandma's got her ice cream. The two kids have their ice cream. Everybody's eating, and 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 Adam and I are sitting there. I'm standing there while this guy's still talking to me. You know, there's one employee working. I said, Adam, I said, what, what's going on? You know, <laughs> I start to get. And you've been with me where I start to get agitated like this, and you know, I start looking around. I want answers. I want answers fast. And I look up, <laughs> and, and, and Grandpa is soliciting samples of a little spoon. Oh, oh, can I try the? You know, whatever. <sighs> And I'm like, Gramps, you're 70 years old. How many different ice creams have you tried in your life? I think you know what every flavor tastes like at this point. Am I right? Right. So yeah. he gets one and I'm like, okay. And he's like, oh, yeah, can I try the uh, – and then, keep in mind, this is a tough grandpa who, who just didn't say excuse me. We're not talking about you know some hippie Gramps from Oregon wearing a, you know, wearing a uh, Hawaiian shirt. This guy's got a – you know, the – uh, the mark in his back pocket from having a can of skull in there or whatever, you know, um, he's bald, got a shaved head that he's cultivated. And, uh, 
Then he he takes another sample and then he orders and he goes, I'll take one scoop of chocolate and one scoop of cookies and cream. So after all these Man. samples he had to just try, he gets like the most blase order, which, you know, I'm all for cookies and cream. I love it. But the fact that you made this dude make you test all these, you know, elaborate flavors just to get something normal. I finally had enough. It was going too slow. After five minutes, I said, you know what? This is a sign. Marvin Wilson is right. I don't need any ice cream. <laughs> we're, we're, we're out of here. Uh, so we blew it. And then I spent the next five minutes walking back to the hotel, screaming at Friedman about how old, how, how old men don't need <laughs> to sample ice creams. What's wrong with this person? So, uh, I'm with you on that, man. There's a couple there's a, there's, there's a local, there's a local chain or two that we like to frequent. And that line can get out of control in a hurry with all the people wanting this sample and that. I think, I think the ratio is for every 10 flavors of ice cream available, no more than three samples. That's that's. I mean, if you walk into an ice cream store and they've got fifty different types of ice cream, I mean, you got to you got to try. I mean, you got to know what you're getting yourself into. But I mean, if we're talking 10, 12 flavors, pick the three that you think are the finalist and commit to it. And that's you know that's what you got to do out of courtesy to everybody else around. Well, you. And, and guess what? If you and I, I think we had a run in one time where uh, we were at a uh, we were swirling at a uh, at a froyo shop. And they wouldn't give us the cups. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. vividly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really saying something. Yeah, so I had a freak out then because they didn't trust us to get our own samples. Look, if it's a Froyo place and you got those little cups, get your own samples. If you feel like stealing a bunch of Froyo by sampling 20 kinds, that's that's fine. But if they have to hand you the little spoon every time, like you said, you're bogging down the whole line. It's like, what do you need to try? Just make an order. It's ice cream. It's, you know, this is not... You know, we're not picking out paint samples for the house here. Um, so anyway, that's that was my number one rant. I did have another two rant. This is more of a Woody conspiracy theory. Okay. How many times, you know, and I don't want to, you know, obviously we don't, we're not supposed to get too much into corporate sponsors and things of that nature. So this is not a knock on said company I'm about to mention. But how many times on social media do you see, Nick, somebody with a Starbucks and their name is spelled wrong on there or it's a different name? How often uh, would you say you see that? Man. Well, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where once you start noticing it, you you start noticing it all the time, right? I mean, it really it comes right. in waves. So it'll at be me. like it'll be like you know your friend Stephen, and it'll, it'll be like they got a coffee and it says Sven on it or something, you know? And the people are like, yeah. "Oh my God, how did they not get my name right?" Well, I've got news for you. I'm convinced it's a viral marketing campaign. I think people at Starbucks have been told to get people's names wrong on purpose. So they post it on social media and essentially get free advertising wow. for Starbucks every time. What do you think about that, Nick? Take that for data. I mean, come on. How many people, how many young, attractive women are posting pictures of Starbucks cups because their name Kim is, you know, spelled like K-Y-M-E or something like that. I think they do it on purpose. And I would like to talk to some employees. And guess what? If they did it, it sounds like a Nathan for you plot. <laughs> but uh, I think it's... Well, we already know what he does with, with when Starbucks is part of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. You know, let us know. Do you think... have your Has your name been spelled wrong, A, and B... It's got to be diabolical because some of these people have to be frequenting the same Starbucks and repeatedly getting their names spelled wrong and differently. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to, you know, where's John Stossel at these days, Nick? You, you, <laughs> is he still around? I don't know. Maybe he was on 2020. It was always doing, you know, he's kind of like Chris Hansen, but for, for 2020, he's always doing investigations and stuff. I like him to get him on a case or some, somebody's got to. Is he the one that does the. Hey, what, what what would you yeah, do? I where like I think he transitioned into that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. And I'm yeah. So get get him on the case now. Quick recommendation before we go. Uh, Funny or Die, which is a popular website at some point. I'm not sure how popular it still is these days. It was a it was a uh, pretty interesting concept when it first started. Of course, you get to vote if a movie was if a short video was funny or if it should die, which was you know a tad bit ghoulish, but. Uh, 
anyway, they now do original video content, and they do this uh, weekly thing called uh, Zach Morris is Trash, <laughs> which in which they go back to episodes of Saved by the Bell and recap all like the the terrible things that Zach did that makes him like a horrible person. Uh, and, you know, obviously viewed through the lens of 2017, oftentimes it's horribly offensive things that he's done, like secretly taking pictures of the girls while they're at swim practice and then selling the calendars to make money. You know, uh, wow. he, uh, he wants to cost Miss Bliss her, her new car by uh, sneaking onto her computer and then buying a bunch of stock and potatoes. Um, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> there's the episode where he finds out he's like one sixteenth Native American and then does a bunch of like offensive Native American stuff. So uh, <laughs> I would highly recommend watching it. The videos go real fast. It essentially recaps an entire episode of Saved by the Bell in like less than three minutes with the guy listing off everything that Zach does and then listing it off randomly and then finishing off with Z with Zach Morris is trash, which I really enjoy. It makes me laugh every time. Uh, so go find those on funny or die. We haven't, we've been complaining a lot. Haven't really recommended a lot of stuff. So, uh, so that's it. I think that's Wait, that I also, I also have one more mini rant. Uh, just, okay. it's actually, I think, I think at this point it might be a commitment issue storyline because I think this is something I mentioned uh, earlier in the season, but I, this is this is now the second game this past weekend that I've been to where the cheerleaders are mic'd up. And uh, so <laughs> you texted me this. You mean like throughout the so like so the this is, okay so, here's, so so listen so listen here's the deal. I was so two Saturday game. I was I was I had a Saturday doubleheader in the Alamo Dome this past weekend, right? And uh, the aforementioned Steel Knights come out instead of their cheerleaders. All, and I think they might have brought the JV and varsity squad out all together. But instead of their cheerleaders just being on one end by the band or on one end, you know, with the fans, what they did is they lined they they lined the cheerleaders up horizontally. So they just went they just spanned the length of the side of the field that Steele was sitting on in the arena. And there was a a, a fairly decent crowd there. I mean, you know, Steele is a is a local team to San Antonio essentially. So, you know, and they had a good they had a good crowd there, but but you know what it's like in the Alamo Dome. I mean, it's it's like cavernous. It's you know, and and if it's not and even even when it's like moderately full of people, it just so it's just so like big and hollow that, you know, there's the sound reverbs there's you know so and and sometimes there's lulls in a high school football game especially you know with the with the uh the significance placed on on <laughs> on halftime shows here in the state in the great state of texas uh you know and the band's cutting out early in the first half but so it, at times it can get really quiet and when you have one cheerleader with the mic turned all the way up to two speakers that broadcast down to either end of the line of cheerleaders so they can stay in line Everybody in that stadium is hearing that cheer and it just, it, I mean, it starts to, it really starts to have a, a nails on the chalkboard effect. Once you get down to that third quarter, you know, and you're grinding it out towards the end of the game. Um, I did take a little bit of audio that I will, uh, patch in here so everybody can get the full effect and just imagine, you know, just extrapolate that through four quarters of, you know, playoff football, having that just burrowing into your brain. Everybody yeah, go, get louder, go. Go nice, everybody! Yeah, go nice. <laughs> and uh, you know that was part. Of, that was that was part of my weekend. So talk about be aggressive, be e aggressive. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. The cheerleader sounded pretty close to how you just sounded right there. I mean, to, uh, just to cut above apathy with these cheers. So that that also kind of you know kind of made things a little silly. Well, I think you know, and we can wrap this up real quick. Uh, Unfortunately for cheerleaders, you know, the, a lot of the crowd's not really paying attention to, to what's going on down there. And I think it's a product of, you know, we got DJs now and we got in, you know, we got we got in-game entertainment. And I just think it's a, it affects the ability. I, I'd like to see the cheerleaders coordinate more with these uh, student sections, you know, that, that, that have a lot of stuff prepared coming into games. I think if those two of them could get synced up at a lot of these schools, I think it would help uh, – you know, bring back some of that spirit. You know, we've got spirit. How about you? Um, you remember that where the, the, the two crowds would go back and forth? I mean, what? A, I never yeah. see that anymore. Um, yeah. 
we got, you know, you can't do that. Yeah, I know. We did have a well-placed uh, We Believe That We Will Win when the team was rallying and only down a touchdown in the second half. I thought that was the appropriate time to go with the We Will Win chant to kind of give some oomph to the to the home team, although they ultimately ended up losing. Uh, there's a lot of, yeah, I believe that we will win when they're up by 30, 30 points, points and, the, and we're down to five points. seconds on the clock. Yeah, yeah. no, Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're supposed to do a pregame, and then so, so well, you know, if Nick and I ever get out of the podcast game, we'll go into the cheerleading consulting game. Uh, <laughs> I could definitely, I mean, we definitely, giving, fit- we're just giving away free free advice right now. So your first consultation's free, but after that, we're gonna have to work out a payment plan. <laughs> Based on my experience, cheerleading coaches have similar builds to either you or me. So. Uh, <laughs> 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 I think Marvin would have some tweets uh, directed at some people that, that way. <laughs> so anyway, that wraps it up. I think. Hey, big shout! Guess what? Before we end the show, to M Deuce who bought a new house this oh, week. Oh my gosh! Wow. Boy, moving on up. I know he had a studio in his past house, so let's hope bigger and better means uh, means a new studio, means new music. Uh, of course, you can find him uh, M Deuce Music, I believe, on Facebook. Uh, I noticed he hasn't been posting a lot of SoundCloud. I, a lot of people are nervous about the future of SoundCloud, uh, but not us as, as we continue to run our whole operation <laughs> through there. So <laughs> let's, let's hope. Hey, listen, that thing, when you, when you hard. work for a company like Yahoo, you know, you sometimes just got to let it ride. Yeah, that's right. We let it ride. And we don't even work for Yahoo anymore. We work for Oath. Oh, hey, yeah. what are, you know, speak, <laughs> speaking of which, it looks like uh, – it looks like M Deuce has got some T-shirts available. Oh my here. gosh, she beat us to it! All right, okay. Well, we're getting, we're, you know, <laughs> we're getting close. Get a little long here. M Deuce, send us a T-shirt. How do we not have T-shirts? Looks like, you know, I can't remember this guy's name that's got the T-shirt on. Uh, but anyway, whatever his name is, he looks familiar. I definitely went to high school with him. Get us, a, get us some shirts, M Deuce. Uh, check him out on Facebook. Please leave us a review. Please, please, please tell a friend. We want to keep those numbers to keep uh, rising so we can brag about it to our coworkers. And uh, that's it. that wraps it up. We'll all be back next week. We'll all be home. I think Nick might not be home. Actually, it might just be me and Rob. But anyway, there'll be a show. We'll be back. Tune in then. <laughs>